right, how is it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders, where we talk to founders of fast-growing startups. We learn about what they're working on, their visions for the future, and how the two collide. Today, I am so excited to have on the show Neil O'Grady, who is one of the co-founders of Demand Curve. Neil, how's it going? Welcome to the show. Oh, it's great. Thank you for having me, Matt. Yeah, thanks for coming on. I'm really excited to learn more about Demand Curve and just learn more about growth in general. To get started, I'd love to hear a little bit about your background, and then we will dive into what you're working on today. Absolutely. So my background is... Uh... Well, I actually did mechanical engineering as a degree because I was obsessed with cars. Uh, and then after a bunch of weaving between wanting to go to med school and, and eventually deciding that uh, I wanted to become a, a programmer as a means to become an entrepreneur. Uh, and I actually ended up working as a freelance web developer for years so I could build up the skills necessary to build my own products. And at the same time, I was sort of doing content marketing for companies like Webflow um, and just consuming every book I could about entrepreneurship. And I, and I started to, tried to start at least two other companies in the past that ended up failing, of course. Um, but about two and a half years ago, I started Bell Curve, which is now more known as Demand Curve. Um, yeah. All right. So uh, demand curve. Well, actually, let's actually go into what bell curve was and or is. And then I'd love to hear about how that turned into demand curve or how that expanded into demand curve. Okay. So bell curve is uh, a growth marketing agency that we started. Um, me and my co-founder, uh, Julian Shapiro, and I started about two and a half to three years ago. And um, yeah, it was... Basically, my uh, co-founder Julian was getting a whole bunch of questions from his his friends and his connections in San Francisco to have him come on to either do their Facebook ads or to basically become their CMO because he used to be the uh, head of growth at um, uh, Webflow, and he he's just not really the type of person to ever work for anybody. And um, we had known each other in high school. Uh, he's I reconnected with him when I was living in Montreal and he kind of mentored me into becoming programmer and entrepreneur about like five, six years ago. And we always wanted to start something together. So he had this idea of us starting an agency together and reached out. And luckily I just had um, one of my previous uh, businesses fail like the day before um, that I was just like in a perfect position to say yes. Uh, yeah, and our, our our idea at the time was to that we were like a bolt-on growth team. So, say it's a small company or even company of you know fifty people, but they don't really have any marketing team. They just like mostly engineers, or they just don't really know how to grow themselves. They've gotten to a point and then they've kind of just stopped. And that we would come in there and we would just handle every aspect of growth for them. So we'd be like a CMO for hire. And we would, we worked with companies like Envoy and Microsoft, even Imperfect Produce, Perfect Keto. Uh, and at the time, we would like build their entire websites. We would write all of their email copies. We'd run surveys for them. We'd run all their ads, do direct sponsorship deals, set up content marketing strategies, um, literally everything a CMO would do. 
And then eventually we kind of got drained from that because that is very intensive to try and do for 10 to 20 clients as a you know, team of six or seven. So we decided that we wanted to start to come up with some sort of product ideas that we could create. And we were seeing that a bunch of founders that like an agency is only useful to a very uh, certain stage of a company. So generally when you're, you're just starting out, you can't afford, you know, five to 20 grand per month on an agency. Instead, you need to kind of like do it yourself. Um, and then after, so you like, you need to know how to do it yourself for a while and then maybe you can bring on an agency. And then after a while, an agency, uh, isn't ideal anymore because you just want to bring the talent in house. They're sitting beside you all the time. They're spending all of their brain power on it. So you end up dropping the agency, build up a team. And then once you become Microsoft size and everything's too big and too slow, you then hire an an agency again and then spend, you know, 40 grand a month. Um, So we wanted to kind of help people in the initial stages. So the founder that had built the product and then had no idea how to get rid of it or like get people, get it into people's hands. So we started demand curve where, so we could train the founders and their, their first high marketing hire to, to grow their businesses themselves, do everything that we would have done for them as an agency. Um, but, you know, at one month agency cost instead of, you know, using us for a year. So I'd love to know, uh... What kind of reaction when you first announced the man curve and you first started pushing it out to founders are founders now becoming these growth experts and pushing off needing to hire hire more marketers or is it more so so founders can learn how growth works so they can then hire perfectly for the right uh, for, for that position mm, well for the reception uh, we actually we did a very like soft launch of it. Uh, we're like, oh, we've created this mark, this curriculum. We're already getting a bunch of leads for our agency. The ones that aren't really a good fit for our agency will just pitch this training program instead. So generally, that was the people in the earlier stages. Uh, and then, yeah, I'd say it's actually been like a mix of both. Either they've been able to kind of handle their own growth for longer and not have to hire somebody or bring on an agency or they've the founders just gotten some useful knowledge in growth and how it works and then they can better vet somebody that they then hire or they can have more informed conversations with their their growth hire Um, so i I think it's useful in, in both cases i don't think there's ever a situation where the founders will be hurt by knowing how to grow their own business uh, even if they're not the ones doing it because it's still important for them to understand the concepts yeah i i totally agree with that something that i wonder is you know you i feel like you have a giant giant market in that you yourself are a startup and you're trying to would you say that you're this is in the space of education is it is it reskilling what would you say what industry would you put demand curve in and also where where how do you see it evolving over the next five to ten years uh so i would say we're probably more like a education probably closer to something that does like corporate training almost 
in our in our current iteration. I'd say like our longer term vision is that we want to be like the the one stop shop for growth people and founders to looking to grow their business. So whether that's like them needing to train themselves, their team, whether they they need an agency. Um, and even if our agency is not the right one for, for them, we have we've vetted dozens of other agencies that have been recommended by our network and will match make them like even web dev agencies. Um, whether they need to fundraise, like we're currently in the process of exploring way like a, a, a seed fund essentially. And then we're, we're constantly pushing out resources to help people learn for free. Even people that, you know, like if you're head of growth at a company and you probably like, you know, too much for our actual training program. Uh, we still like to put out resources like our webinars and our newsletter, which are more advanced um, like growth topics. So just keep educating people to help grow their companies at all stages. And then we want to like, we already have kind of a community in our, our Slack groups of uh, heads of growth and founders at companies. So just trying to assist just offer as many things as we can to assist founders and companies to help them get their visions and products out there in the world. Cause there's just, it's just like starting a company is very hard and getting people to use it's very hard, even if it's an amazing product. And I, I would hate to see like the next amazing thing, not go anywhere just cause the, the founders don't know how to get signed people up for it. That's very valuable teaching founders how to spread the word and grow their grow their company. I would love to dive into, you know, some growth kind of tips or tactics or, or thoughts right uh, right now on, on the podcast. So when you think about growth, what what, would, what do you think are some of the most um, most underrated um, uses of time when thinking about growth, or when someone gets started with demand curve or bell curve? Where do you focus on first if there's a founder listening to this? So the first thing that we get somebody to to do is basically just to think up their value props. Like what is the thing that, what's the problem that your product actually solves and who does it solve it for? And just refining the message. And it's actually, we've had a number of companies even do like the first few days of our program, read those things and go, actually our product doesn't really solve all that much of a problem. Uh, or it does it for such a like crazy small market. Um, so it's really just trying to figure out exactly the problem you're solving and why it's interesting and trying to th think of how to pitch it. Um, <laughs> just remind, like I, on, on LinkedIn, I recently got a, like a cold message that said, um, we free this thing to help accelerate your growth by having health benefits that cost 30% less. And I was just, that's like the dumbest value prop in the world for health benefits and no way does having a cheaper health benefit make your company grow faster. So, so I just, I almost felt like sending this guy, like, please just read this, <laughs> refine your message. Uh, Cause that just doesn't make any sense. Whereas like there's actual pain points for health benefits or founders trying to get health benefits for their employees. So like, why not speak to the exact problem that they're having? 
I feel like one of your growth strategies could be just that in that, I mean, in, in the age of, of 2019, I know I get cold emailed all the time on random, random services on X and Y and Z. And it's usually about growing the company, but almost every time the person emailing me is not actually qualified to, to grow their comp, uh, to grow our company. So it would be interesting if you just threw the demand curve back and everyone cold emailing you or LinkedIn messaging you, Oh, Hey, like, this is great. Like if you want to sell me better, use demand curve or something like that. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's something uh, one of my other co-founders, Asher, loves to do. Uh, whenever he gets something, he always pivots them and like, here, here's our cold emailing uh, module. That's you so might find this useful. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. that reminds me, you got this other cold email that was uh, this one company that was just like, congratulations, we've nominated you as like one of the top 10 for education companies. And like, huge email. And like, in the last paragraph it's like to unlock this award please send us two thousand dollars it's so dumb um to unlock this reward is send us two thousand dollars man what a what a great value prop right there <laughs> yeah no kidding um yeah so and i'd say that like i get a lot of emails all the time where people are not really selling their product properly or um they're not really adding any value or it's like they're emailing me and it's like not even really relevant to what we do. It's like very clear that they did not research our product at all. Yep. Um, like so many things, companies have contacted me like, do you need engineers? I'm like, have you, if you, if you research our product, you see that it's not software. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a service-based business and not very service-based businesses don't need engineers. We need more marketers. So, um, yeah, so I'd say like refining your message and knowing exactly who your target market is and, and speaking directly to their needs is huge. Uh, and then otherwise, I'd say that a lot of companies don't put enough effort into their website. Um, like your website is basically everything. That's where people are going to learn about you. That's where they get an idea of like whether they should respect you. Um, so... I especially think that like if you have a software tool, for example, you should have a good website because your website is directly reflective of the quality that your engineers can pump out. And if you have a bad website, it's likely that your software is going to be bad. Um, just like if you're speaking, if your audience are designers, you should have a very beautiful website. Um, or if you target writers, it should be written very well. So just focusing on having a landing page and website that just demonstrates credibility, very succinctly tells you like, this is what we do. This is who it's for. This is how much it costs. This is why you should use us. This is who else is using us. Because especially for like, if you're an expensive business or if you're service-based or whatever, people need to know that they can trust you and they can, They'll trust you better if they know that, like, if Google uses you, for example, they're more likely to use it. If there's any companies that they've heard of, or if you don't have customers that know that they might have heard of, say, like, use numbers, like, we have this many people on our platform. Or a lot of things will say, like, say, um, like, I saw one, it was like a cryptocurrency um, market automatic like algorithm trading thing for you. 
it used uh, the amount of assets it has on its platform, like the amount of money that people have put into it. So just trying to leverage. So like, this is not a tiny thing. This is not just one guy in his parents' basement that's thrown together like a Squarespace site. We have customers. This is why you should use us. So yeah, so I'd say messaging, landing page, having a good product, and just continue to provide value to people. All right. So, so let's say I just started a company and I have the, the value prop dialed in. I've done my user interviews, my user research. I have a great, great website done on Webflow. It looks beautiful. And I kind of follow, I take all the boxes in regards to having your assets in line. And let's say I have someone who gave me $10,000 or let's say maybe a hundred thousand um, dollars to then great. Now, now grow your company and turn this a hundred thousand dollars into way more than that and get some users. How do you think about allocating spend to different channels or how does someone think about getting the users once all the, once all the assets are in place? So I'd say that would vary greatly based on your industry and also just like the cost of your product. So um, there's actually pretty good articles. I don't know if, have you ever heard of Brian Balfour from Reforge? The name sounds familiar, but I don't know if I've consumed the content consciously. Uh, he's, uh, he was like the head of growth at HubSpot for many mm. years. He started a bunch of his own company. Okay. And Reforge is similar to Demand Curve in that they teach growth to people, but it's generally like they'll teach the head of growth at Airbnb for example, like it's very high level. It's mostly for executives and big companies. So he's kind of considered to be one of the like main people talking about growth and doing it well. And he has this uh, series of articles where he kind of dispels the myth of uh, product market fit being the only important thing. And then there's actually four fits that are important for a product that can grow. And, um, <clears throat> One of them is, I think, like market model fit. So basically, if your product costs, and like, I think there's also market channel fit. So basically, if your product costs $20, you're probably not gonna do outbound sales. It's just, it makes no sense if your salesperson spends more than two minutes on somebody spends more than a minute on somebody they've you've lost money whereas if you sell enterprise software and your deals are a hundred thousand to a million plus then you it makes sense to invest a whole bunch of salesperson's time into trying to secure that account so in the case where you have say facebook their product is mostly free they only earn maybe a few dollars per year off each person from ads so they have to get people mostly from free channels so that'd be SEO, that'd be word of mouth, that'd be referrals, things like that. Whereas if you're a bit more expensive, say you're in the tens of dollars of range, you could probably run ads, you know, Facebook ads, Google ads, things like that. Cause often cost per acquisitions for say like an e-commerce product or a SaaS tool may be in the tens of dollars a lot of times. Uh, if you cost a bit more than that, you know, like say in the thousands dollar range, kind of like how our business is, uh, a lot of B2B companies are like that. They invest more in content. So like us, for example, we put out a lot of webinars. We have a newsletter. We have a Slack community. 
we write a we write a blog. These are all things that we're putting out for free for people to see and to read and consume, realize that we know what we're talking about, gain some affinity for our brand, and then they'll come to our website and go like, okay, actually, I think now's the time. I want these guys to train me or I want them to be our agency. And then they'll sign up. And then we have, for more expensive product, you might have somebody that does some light sales, answers questions, maybe hop on a phone call. Um, and yeah, any more expensive than that, then there's like, say, yeah, your product costs a hundred grand or a million. There's only so many companies out there that can likely use you and use running ads on Facebook. You're going to hit a million people when only a thousand of them could be remotely interested in your product. So you've just wasted a lot of money for no purpose. So instead you want to go on LinkedIn you want to find, you know, the, the exact person at that company that would make the decision and evaluate your product, send them a message, hit them with direct ads, things like that. So um, it all really depends on who you're targeting. Uh, and sometimes what you need to do is free. And sometimes like you're not going to spend any money on actual like ad channels and you'll instead invest it on like creating content or, or salespeople or whatever. That's all really valuable information. And I think as people are listening and they think about what they're selling and what range they're, they're selling the product for, it's a good way to think about uh, acquisition, acquisition channels. So that's very helpful. Uh, one of my last uh, questions in regards to growth is oftentimes there's, there's two kind of phases of a, of a startup or of a company. The first phase is build something that doesn't have a leaky bucket, build something people want, find product market fit. And before you find product market fit, you shouldn't be pouring too much money into growth. Then once you found product market fit, um, you then pour as much money into growth as possible um, to grow as fast as you can. Um, is this something that you agree with and or, uh, and if so or if not, like how does someone evaluate um, when to push the pedal on growth uh, for their company? Yeah, I would say that our, our products, our agency or training is only relevant to somebody that, you know, has created a product, has had some sort of traction and is actually ready to kind of like pour the fuel on the fire, um, especially the agency. For the training, like sometimes you're not even sure because you haven't been able to even set up a channel or you don't even know what the channels are and you need help figuring those out to then test to see if you're at that stage. But you at least need a product done and to have like reasonable confidence that this is the one you want to kind of put attention into. So yeah, before that you should kind of the MVP kind of methodology where you put the least amount of effort in to test something. So instead of fully building a product, maybe create like a survey to see if anyone gives, gives a shit at all first. Um, and then, yeah, like if people are showing some interest, then maybe you build something up if people are still using it and the whole time, like talk, talk to people, like send questions, like give me some feedback. Like why'd you stop using it? Why are you using it? And just trying to learn as much as possible before you run on, go on Facebook and spend $5,000 per day trying to get people to sign up because you, you'd just be wasting your money. And also like you might not even know exactly who you need to target on Facebook because uh, you might not necessarily fully know who your, your target market really is 
until you've done more cheaper tests. So yeah, I, I fully agree. Like do as little as possible and spend as little money as possible until you start to see natural growth. Like people are, you have like high NPS. So like people keep messaging you saying like, I love what you're doing. love this product. See people are coming in from referrals. Um, yeah. So I fully agree. Don't, don't go spending a ton of money until you have a product that it seems that people want. Yeah. It, it's great advice. Um, in regards to, to growth, the, my last question on this is, you know, I know that you, you guys recently went through YC. You probably have a, a lot of people using demand curve that are, that are YC companies and tech stars and just all, all across the gamut. So you probably have a lot of data. What do you think is the biggest mistake that early stage startups make when it comes to their growth and um, how can they try to avoid it before they make it? I'd say the biggest thing is just um, it's, uh, assuming it's going to happen by building something good. I think it's a very classic one. Um, another is, I mean, sometimes it's, you've just chosen the wrong kind of product idea or it's targeting the wrong person or it's the wrong price point. Like for example, to go back to the kind of four fits that I mentioned, if your entire addressable audience is only a thousand people and you're only charging a hundred dollars, you're never going to have a big business. Um, whereas if your total addressable market is a hundred million people, and it costs $10, that's, you know, a big business. That's not astronomical, but it's still pretty big business. So I've seen a lot of things where people build it and it's like not very many people are gonna use this. Like uh, I've seen things like a mentoring, mentorship program for a specific job for like data scientists or something. And it's like, you're probably only making a little bit from from this there's only so many people that are going to want mentorship from that thing it's i don't know it's, it's just try not like focusing too much on like a very niche thing that isn't very big or people aren't really willing to pay all that much for uh, i think is a, a huge problem and then trying to spend money to to grow it uh so it's really just front load a bunch of work trying to like figure out is it the thing i'm actually working on have serious potential um, are people going to be interested is the market size interesting enough um, and then once you actually have found that build it get people to try it and then invest growth resources in the channels that make sense for that specific product so got it i've also seen other <clears throat> sorry to bring this back there's a we've had some clients where they wanted to invest in like content marketing, <clears throat> but they, they dealt with a subject that people don't really Google. They were doing like a sort of like Airbnb for one-off events or pop-up shops, things like that. And that's not really something that people Google about. I don't randomly sit there and, you know, every couple of weeks read an article about booking an event space. Uh, whereas like say a company like Webflow, 
where they deal with um, website builders and designers. Like designers are a, a market that continuously want to learn how to be better designers. They want to know how to do their job better. Same with programmers. So those, like any market where people want to get better and learn, then that is an amazing um, market for SEO and content marketing. Same with marketers, same with people wanting to learn, read about their health or their diet. But when it's like very niche things like, yeah, booking an event space, then there's no sense investing in a bunch of content marketing for that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, my, uh, my last question for you is more broad, um, away from just growth and just startup advice in general. Um, there's a lot of people that are listening to this on, in their car or while they're on a walk thinking, I'm going to start a company and I want to build something that I can then grow myself, but they don't necessarily know that first step to take before starting a company. What would you tell a, a aspiring founder, um, to do if they want to take their first step into starting a company? Uh, just fucking do it. Um, there, there's never a good time and that you'll never have the right product idea. So you just gotta, you just gotta start devote some time a little bit every day, maybe a little bit every week, just, just start researching, start building something. Um, uh, or if you have like, none of the skills required for the things that you're interested in working on. Like you want to do something like an e-commerce store and you have no idea how to set any of that stuff up, like at least start researching things. Um, Cause if you never start, you'll never do it. Uh, and I don't know a single founder that is like a few years in and is still working on the thing they started with. Like, the idea that you have at first is completely useless. It's bad. And you'll refine it over time. And over, over the years, you'll be doing something completely different. And you'll, you'll like reflect back and you're like, wow, five years ago, I never thought I'd end up here. Like I imagine the, the founders of Airbnb would have never expected to be where they are. And they once started a, a cereal line and used to force people to actually use an inflatable mattress. <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, so j just start, it doesn't matter what your idea is, just start trying to do it, gain some skills. You'll improve and you'll figure out what you're doing over time. I think that is great advice. And I appreciate you coming on to the podcast. Uh, my, just the last quick plug question is if someone wanted to learn more about you or learn more about Demand Curve, where can they find you or your company online? So we're demandcurve.com. Um, you'll see all of our training programs. If also if you want an agency, you'll see a link for that, or it's demandcurve.com slash agency. Um, we also have a Slack community and newsletters that you can sign up for, um, which are, I think our newsletters, like over 10,000 people now, mostly founders and heads of growth. And, Slack community is like several thousand, I think. So you might as well just pop in and we, we release insights every couple of weeks on our newsletter and there's a very active Slack channel. So see either one of those. All right. Well, you all heard her first and, and Neil, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. I really learned a lot and, uh, and appreciate you coming on.
Great. Thank you, Matt. Have a good one.